we're just happy to have him. And John, thanks for being with us. We're really glad to have you. And if you don't mind, could you start out by just simply giving us a little idea of what the synthesis effect is? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you both for uh, the invitation. It's a, it's a delight to join you from around the country. It sounds like we're in three vastly different places in the country, and yet here we all are together. Uh, well, we never exactly know where Lamont is, but we don't ever really know. And technology is truly amazing. It really is. He can be in he can be in two three places at once. Ah. But I'm sorry, I interrupted you. I interrupted you. I like to know what the synthesis effect is. I love the word synthesis. I'm happy about that. So tell us about it. Oh, sure. Well, the synthesis effect is learning how to live your life in such a way that uh, it's truly an enjoyable experience. I I have a rule. It's called rule number one. Life is supposed to be fun. And, you know, that means different things for different people. But it doesn't mean an endless series of, you know, hedonistic experiences and just, you know. It means when you get up in the morning, you look forward to the day. You love, hopefully love what you do to make money. You, You really like the choices you're making, the people you're associating with, your relationships, and you're feeling empowered. You're feeling like you're manifesting the life of your dreams rather than one you mm-hmm. think you're stuck with. The, the synthesis process, uh, the reason I chose that word is because it means literally taking a bunch of different ingredients and bringing them together in such a way that you create a stronger whole. And that's what this process is about. It's about using the conscious, logical, cognitive mind, which most of us are familiar with, uh, through a, a variety of models uh, tools and techniques, and getting it in alignment with the much more subtle and much more powerful subconscious part of the mind, which is really what controls most of our behaviors, attitudes, values, and beliefs, etc. And through a variety of tools, techniques, methods, traditions, you bring the two parts of the mind together so they work in unison, and that creates profound change, and very often quite quickly. So that's what synthesis does. The effect is love in your life. Well, is there a limit to what uh, synthesis can be used for or applied to? Well, you know, as I say so uh, succinctly, both in the book and when I do workshops and seminars and when I work with clients one-on-one, there is no silver bullet. There's no one guaranteed method for for everybody. Uh, but if there isn't organic or physical brain damage, you know, which would cause a uh, you know, an inability to use your mind or uh, a severe mental illness like psychosis, there is very little that you cannot change with this process. Uh, it's, it's about creating change and transformation in your life, and whether it's getting over a fear or a phobia or an unwanted or unhealthy habit or getting in better shape, performing better at work, at home, at school, uh, it really doesn't matter because our behavior and our outcomes are all determined and start in the mind. And so when you get your mind working the way you want it to, it's amazing how easy it is to manifest. So it, it is virtually unlimited, yeah. And I guess my question would be is can anyone benefit from this? Yeah, anyone can because I have a theory, and this is based on many, many years of working with people, uh, in a variety of situations, but my theory is that everybody has everything they need within them to create and manifest whatever they want. So if you have a desire, and that's number one, you've got to really want it, and you're willing to commit to the work, because it's not magic uh, by any stretch of the imagination, and I get people that want magic, and I, I have a magic wand at my desk, and I take it out, and I say, you know, if I could tap you on the head and make it all go away, I would, but Uh, If you truly have a desire to make a change in your life, I don't care what the change is, and you're willing to commit to the work, and that means going through the process and using the tools, then, yeah, virtually anybody can benefit. Even Matthew. (laughs) That's a loaded question because I don't know Matthew, but I'm going to take a chance and say even Matthew. Anybody. Okay. Well, good see, man, there, good see man. there is a God. Good there man. is a God. Now I got at least one person on my side today. Just well, I figured one. if it worked for me, it must work for anybody because I was I was a very unhappy camper at one point in my life. So 
I, I don't know. I don't know, Matthew. Doctor John really didn't go out on the limb. He said he's going to take a chance. <laughs> that meant the jury might still be out on you. Listen, man. I will take what I can get. If, if, if he's willing to help me out, then I'm willing to take some help here. John, you said it says here that you are a uh, clinical hypnotherapist, and I imagine you use that in synthesis. I'm sorry, synthesis. What what's a clinical hypnotherapist? Well, hypnosis, you know, is is first of all a natural state of consciousness that everybody, uh, without you know, with a normal brain, does every day. We all do have naturally hypnotic moments. Hypnotherapy is using that state of consciousness to help people facilitate change in their lives. And the reason it's a very powerful facilitator of emotional, behavioral, even physical change is because it allows us to, to work with that very powerful part of our minds called the subconscious, which is operating automatically sort of beneath our awareness and which operates very much like a computer. So hypnotherapy is using hypnosis in a therapeutic uh, modality to help people create change in their lives. It creates a very open, receptive state of mind. The best example I could give, and everybody will get this, I think, is when you watch a really, really good movie and you get totally sucked into it. For those two hours, you forget everything else, and you are having an emotional experience. The movie causes you to feel things. It could be fear or uh, elation. It could be uh, terror. It could be sadness. It doesn't matter. But consciously, you know the movie is a complete illusion. It's not real. A bunch of people may believe something was happening. They took a picture of it, and you're watching the images. But because you're in hypnosis in that situation, and your subconscious mind can't tell the difference between reality and illusion, you are receptive to the suggestions, and you create feelings. Hypnotherapy is very similar to that, except we do it at a much more profound level, so that you know, at the end of the movie, the, the screen goes dark, the lights come up, and you walk out and say, oh, I wasn't scared. Well, yeah, you were, but it doesn't last. With hypnotherapy, we use hypnosis to create that state of mind at a very profound level and then help the subconscious mind, again, it works very much like a computer, sort of take out the buggy software, the patterns, the attitudes, values, beliefs that, that are holding you back, and reteaching it or reprogramming it new ones so that they coincide with what your conscious desires are. For instance, um, real quick, you know, someone is a smoker. They smoke cigarettes. They're addicted to cigarettes. And consciously, they don't want to do it anymore because they know it's killing them. Maybe they're getting short of breath and, you know, it smells and it costs a lot of money. But their subconscious mind is so ingrained that smoking is part of my life, smoking is part of my life, it gets, it, it's very, very difficult. There's a conflict between the conscious desire and the unconscious response, which happens 10 or 20 times a day, time to smoke, time to smoke, yeah. time to smoke. With hypnosis, we, we actually talk to, theoretically anyway, we're not, we're not exactly sure how it works, but we don't know how aspirin works either. But with hypnosis, we create a receptive state of mind and reprogram the subconscious mind to think that smoking is unpleasant, that it's undesirable, and with reinforcement, that becomes the new program, the new default. And I'm a perfect example. I was an addicted smoker for many years, and 16 years ago, I went through this process, and I don't even think about cigarettes today. I'm the same person, but my subconscious mind is working differently. That's a, a bit of a long answer to what seemed like a very simple question. No, no, no. It was a good answer. I'm, I'm glad you took the time to explain it. Now, the one thing that you left out I, I would like for you to go back to is usually the word clinical is not connected here. So I'm just I'm asking you to explain that connection. What does that mean? Okay, well, you know, it, depending on where you are in the country, uh, the term clinical hypnotherapy is either used or forbidden. We are not doctors by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, we're not MDs and we are not psychotherapists, although some psychotherapists use hypnosis. But uh-huh. a clinical hypnotherapist is a person that uses hypnosis in what we would call a clinical setting. In other words, we're, we're not just doing it to uh, entertain people like a hypnosis okay. show. Yeah. Oh, good. Um, and, and, and again, in some states, it's not even legal to use that term. In California, it happens to be as long as you provide the disclaimers that you're not practicing medicine or psycho- psychiatry or psychotherapy without a license. 
Well, so I'm glad you explained it because I, I, as we've we've talked about in other in other shows, sometimes it's a it's an entertainment technique. But in this case, you're talking about really making real changes in in real people's lives. Yeah. So uh, Lamont, I'm sorry, me, I interrupted you. Let me jump in here right quick too, man, because I got a question. So so I could be clear too. So um, a, a patient would come to your office, or um, yeah, will will come to your office. And he would be hypnotized, but first he would have to have a good, clear understanding of what it is that he wants to work on or whatever issue he may have that he wants to deal with. And he would come to you in in your clinical environment, and you perform your hypnosis, your synthesis technique, and help, um, what I say, enforce, Whatever it is he's trying to work out, is that a good way to put it, or am I missing something? No, no, you're not missing it. Uh, you know, we don't call them patients; we call them clients, because again, we don't want okay. to misconstrue. Yeah, but Got it. and it is it's important to have an idea of what you want to change, because if you don't know what you want to change, where do we start? And sometimes right. people don't really. Know, and the first thing I do actually is help them identify what it is they really want to accomplish. But with hypnosis, and, and there is a distinction between, uh, you know, a hypnosis stage show, which is used to entertain. But, again, you just see people responding to suggestions, and they do it because they want to. They haven't been taken over. Um, it's the same state of consciousness. It's just used differently. What we like to talk about, uh, or the way we like to describe it, because it's easily to, uh, easy to understand, it's through hypnosis, and there are other tools in synthesis, but through hypnosis, which is one of the primary tools, we help the subconscious computer unlearn the patterns, habits, beliefs, uh, attitudes, emotions, feelings, whatever it is that are holding a person back, and then reteach it or reprogram it to run the new programs, the new habits, the new attitudes, the new uh, empowering beliefs, um, whatever that may be. And so, yeah, it's very important to know what you want to change because if you don't know what you want to change, how are you going to do it? You know, how are you going to build a house if you can't figure out or visualize the house? Same kind of thing. Right. Got it. Cause I noticed a yeah. lot of people know that they have a half a dozen issues, but they don't know how to fix those half a dozen issues. Right. And so, and that's, you know, that's a really good point because most people don't realize that, Every human being on the planet, we all have a natural resistance to change. So even when we know that a change in our life would be good for us, we'd be happier, we'd make more money, whatever it is, it doesn't really matter, better relationships, even though we know it would be good for us, it's really, really hard to do without assistance. And the reason for that is this natural resistance, the term that is used in behavioral science is called homeostasis. But people, uh-huh. human beings, will, will cling to the familiar with tenacity because it's familiar. And change represents the unknown. And, and very, very primal subconsciously, the unknown represents fear. So, uh, you know, we talk about willpower or lack thereof. Willpower is a conscious process. And if you were to divide the mind between the conscious part of it and the subconscious part of it, the conscious part of the mind is only about 10% of the real estate. Your subconscious is 90%. It's much more massive, much more powerful, processes much more information more quickly than the conscious mind, and willpower is a conscious process. So if you're trying to override a very long-held fear or habit or pattern through willpower alone, it's like a tug of war. You know, that's the way I I describe it in in my uh, sessions. It's like 10 guys, the conscious mind is pulling one way on the rope, and 90 guys, the subconscious mind is pulling the other way. Who wins? You know, it's just for most people, willpower simply isn't enough. We have to right. get through that resistance um, and and get get to the, the subconscious level, which is where the, the computer, so to speak, lives. I hate, I hate to use that word, but that's really how the subconscious works. It happens all by itself once it's programmed and essentially reprogram the computer. And that's where the need of help comes in right there because doing it alone is virtually impossible. For most people, it really is. And, you know, it's really interesting, too, because there's a a stigma, I think, in modern Western culture about getting help for, you know, if you have a toothache, you go to the dentist. If you break your leg, you go to the the doctor and they set your leg. 
But God forbid if you have an emotional or a behavioral uh, holdup or, or something that's, you know, holding you back in life, there's this stigma about seeking help for that. We're supposed to suck it up and get through it or find a way. And for the, for the most people, it just isn't possible to do. Um, and I get people that, you know, they have been trying for years, and they come into the office and they say, you know, you're my last. I've tried everything, and nothing's worked. And then they come for help, and in a few weeks they're a different person, and then they say, why didn't I call you first? And it's not because there's something wrong with you or that, or that you're weak. It's just because of that functionality of the mind, that natural resistance to cling to the familiar is very, very powerful. And in some people it's crippling. So there's a question I have here about um, your methods are based on something about creating your own reality. Can you talk a little bit about that? that idea? Sure. Um, yeah. Well, you know, it, it's, it's interesting if you think about it, and, and I'd invite the listeners to just take a moment. We, we tend to think that life happens to us. Um, we fall victim to circumstances. And, you know, that concept of victimhood is very popular. It's, oh, woe is me. I have a bad life. It's happening to us. And ironically or interestingly, even though it feels that way, that's the perception we get, what scientists are proving um, in, some, in some incredible experiments is that we literally do create our own reality. Uh, the process of living is, is an energy exchange between the being, the person, and, it, and his or her environment. You take energy in in a multitude of ways. You see, you hear, you touch, you taste, you smell, you eat food, you drink liquids, you breathe in air, and you, energy goes out in a variety of ways. You breathe out, you think, you move, you pee, you poop. So we've got energy coming in and energy coming out. We call that living. Well, what they're proving in labs around the world is that all energy – um, at its core is the same. And so, and energy flows along lines of attraction. So essentially the energy you're putting out through your thoughts, through your behaviors, through your actions has an effect on your environment. And it largely determines what you attract back into your environment. And so even though it's inadvertent for most people, most of us don't create a bad or a painful life on purpose. At least most of us don't. But nonetheless, uh, the science is there that we literally, through our energies, how we focus our energies, our thoughts, our behaviors, literally manifest what comes into our lives. So the, the whole synthesis process is helping people learn to control and, and use their energy in a way that serves them rather than in a way that holds them back. Uh, the, the term we use is called being at cause uh, versus being at effect. Being at effect is, oh, woe is me, life is happening to me, I have no power, I can't help it. Being at cause is when you embrace the fact that, hey, I'm responsible for my outcomes, I'm responsible for my happiness, I am responsible for what I manifest in life, and I'm going to take that responsibility. I'm going to be at cause because I am causing whatever it is I'm experiencing ultimately. That's when you start getting empowered. So, John, is it yeah. possible at some time in your in your vast history of your life you had some experience with Warner Earhart? I know of him, and I know of uh, well, they call because it because you were quoting him now. here, and I was just I was, you're just quoting him what you just said. I thought it was kind of interesting. Uh, uh, well, being he's, he's only one of yeah, he's only one of many uh, people that that I've never studied or written his stuff, but. He had a, a process called EST back, I think, in the 60s and 70s that is now uh, called the Landmark Forum. But, you know, yeah. many, many authors uh, uh, and thinkers and philosophers uh, use that term. And I learned it when I was trained in, in a uh, procedure called neurolinguistic programming, or NLT, which is uh-huh. another very popular uh, therapeutic tool. And so that's right. where I learned the concept of being at cause versus being at effect. I didn't know that uh, uh, Mr. Earhart well, I, I'm not going to give him total credit for it, but he certainly <laughs> popularized it. Um, and now, I had a more personal question here, too, and that is, sure. how did you get into hypnotherapy? Well, uh, long story, I'll try, to, I'll try to make it as short as possible, but I've, I've been fortunate enough to have uh, several careers. I, as, as you mentioned at the outset, I was uh, 
uh, a, yeah. a military and commercial pilot for about 13 years, and then I got into mass media, film and TV, and corporate training. And I, I did really have done a whole bunch of different things, and I reached a, a time in my life, and stuff 16 years ago now, where I was uh, working for a media production company out here in LA. I was VP of business development, and our little profitable company got bought by a dot-com. And the, and the end of that was the, the company went out of business when the dot-com crash happened, and I got laid off. And so suddenly I was unemployed at 40-something, and, and it was like, okay, what am I going to do? And what I realized uh, when I really thought about it, I took some time off to really think about it, and I realized that of all the jobs I've ever had, what I loved most about all of them was the concept of teaching and coaching and mentoring and helping people grow. And that realization combined with the fact that I went through hypnotherapy myself to make some major life changes, uh, uh-huh. really helped me get my, my life together, uh, was they sort of came together and it, and it made sense because I, it was a way to get certified and help people directly uh, without having to take 10 years to get a Ph.D. in psychology. Uh, I just didn't have the time because I was 40-something. So I went to school for a year and got my initial certification and then later went back and did my Ph.D. Uh, but that's how it all came together. I, I've always been fascinated with the mind-body connection, and, and I played with hypnosis many years ago, self-hypnosis and meditation. And so it was just sort of this confluence of uh, timing and realization and the fact that I, I had gone through hypnotherapy and it worked so powerfully for me. That's what started it all. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, sometimes people say it doesn't work for them, and I'm interested in your response to that. When when somebody goes and, and tries hypnotherapy and then comes back and says, well, that just didn't click for me very well, how, what's your response to that one? Well, uh, I never argue it because, you know, some people don't respond well, but and like any discipline or any uh, technique, there are so many factors that govern it. Uh, you know, how experienced is the practitioner? How well-trained are they? How competent are they? You know, there's, a, there's an art and a science to hypnotherapy. I could teach anybody how to hypnotize somebody in 10 minutes, but then what do you do? And so it could have been that they truly aren't responsive to hypnosis, or they may not have allowed themselves to really have the experience because they were afraid they were going to lose control, or they were working with someone that was either not well-trained or not experienced or both. So there are so yeah. many possibilities, you know, and, and so when someone says that to me, I really want to dig down and find out what their experience was like. And mm-hmm. most Would you of the say that there – Let me ask the crazy question. Is there another possibility <laughs> of it actually working and the client not realizing that it worked? Well, that's, that does happen. Although if you're looking to make a change, usually you can tell that you're feeling differently or thinking differently when the change occurs. Another, another thing is some people expect it to be magic, and I have to deal with this all the time. They think one session and they're going to be done, and very, very few issues can be corrected in one session. It's usually a number of sessions. Uh, my cigarette smokers do one long session, and they're done, most of them. Uh, but for everybody else and for pretty much any other condition, uh, it, it takes some number of sessions, you know, and, and again, it depends on the, on the practitioner. Some people are really, really good at this and they get their clients get results quickly. And some people just aren't very good and, or not very well, well trained. Would you, say, would you say, John, that there's a, a, a personality type that doesn't respond well to it? Or is it m- more complicated than that? It, it, it's more complicated than that. Um, most personality types, it, like I said, going back to the beginning of our conversation, if someone has an issue and they truly want to change it uh, and, and the desire is genuine, it's for them. It's not because someone thinks they should change it, but they want to. Um, there's a very small percentage of the people that cannot experience hypnosis for one reason or another. It's just the way their brains are wired. Very small percentage, maybe less than 10% of the population at large. So, you know, there's just so many factors uh, involved. But, but over the course of the – I've been in practice now for almost 16 years full-time. I've had maybe two or three people that absolutely could not enter the state for whatever reason. They uh-huh. wouldn't let them. They were too okay. afraid. Uh, 
Um, and a couple of them were early on in my career. And if, if I knew then what I know now, I probably could have corrected that. So not very many people don't do well. When you, when you said um, that people really want to change, what, what are the signs from your perspective that somebody really wants to make a change? Well, first of all, they reach out for help because they've probably tried to do it themselves and failed uh, or not succeeded. I hate the word failure. Um, and what I do, uh, you know, when well, of course, when people come to a workshop or a seminar, it's different than, than private sessions. But when someone calls me to come in, I always take about 15 or 20 minutes on the phone to find out a little bit about why they want to come in, what their motivations are. And it doesn't take long to, to determine whether someone – is truly genuinely wanting to change or they're doing it because someone says, hey, you need to do something. You need to quit smoking. You need to lose weight or else or whatever. You'll be way better off if you do this. You know, that I don't ever take those cases because they don't work. Well, do you work with people who have um, addictions other in addition to uh, cigarettes? Oh, yeah, yep. Uh, all kinds of substances, although – with mind-altering drugs uh, like alcohol uh, and or other intoxicants, it very often also requires uh, additional support. And one of the best ones is a 12-step is a program, a sponsored program, where, they, where there's someone to provide 24-7 support for the person. And, again, um, it can be a slippery slope because when you're talking about mind-altering drugs, we're using the power of the mind to create the change. So I tell people that come in with, issues along those lines that they have got to stay sober uh, while we're working together in order to get sober permanently. And they usually require that they also enlist in a 12-step program of some sort and get a sponsor and show me evidence that they're actually going to meetings so that I know that the desire is genuine. It's, a, it's, you know, it can be helpful, but that's a much more, uh, much slippier, slippier, I was going to say slippery, I can't even say it. Slippery? Slippery? <laughs> oh, my goodness. What a time to have your brain lock up. Uh, very slippery slope. <laughs> right. Well, gentlemen, I think we have somebody else might want to join the conversation, so let's let's let him in to who we have here. Um, 347, you're on. Yes, hello. It's uh, me, Joan, again from New York. I have something to say again. <laughs> And because I went through hypnosis for three months, I was very overweight, very obese, and really, 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 really self-loathing on myself. And hypnosis didn't work for me because I was so focused on myself. What I had to learn was... There's a lot of of noise on your end. I don't know if it's pots and pans, but there's a lot of background noise. Oh, check the TV. What I had to learn was to how to get out of my own way. And uh, and I had to do a lot of self-inner work and, and realize that giving service is something that made me care, made me other, connect with other people who were loving. And then I started learning to love myself, too. And I found out that I'm not in this world. It's not about me. You know, so when I started doing service, it's what really uh, opened up a lot of uh, avenues for me to self-love and losing weight. And that's when the the, the, the weight started falling off because I was very obese at one time. And uh, now I'm almost uh, really gorgeous. <laughs> but the hypnosis, didn't, the hypnosis didn't help at all because I was so focused on not focused on Getting out of my own way is what I'm trying to say, you know. What are your thoughts on that? Well, if you're asking me, sir, I'd say, first of all, congratulations that you uh, you found your way. And when people call me with weight loss, I always tell them that I don't do weight loss. What I do is help them learn to love themselves and like themselves so much that the choices they need to make in order to lose weight become natural and compelling, which is eat less and move more. That's the only way you lose weight. But you found it through being of service. You you discovered your true self-worth and self-esteem, and that 
trigger better choices, and you know that's that's how it works. So it's it's not like you can hypnotize somebody and they suddenly are not going to want to eat or or they're going to get motivated. You have to teach them to really love and care for themselves. That's how I do it anyway. And uh, yeah. usually with with that, the success rate is very high. So good for you. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you for your call. Thanks, Thanks Joan. My pleasure. Well, I so, learned how not um, to eat a lot a long time ago. Well, you're probably not a food addict. No. I'm just saying. I, I don't know what John. I don't know what his addictions are. He doesn't share a lot about his, you know, his messed up stuff. He'll tell you he's got it, but he won't tell you details about it. Barbecue, <laughs> Vienna sausage, and French fried chilies on a half shell. Vienna sausage. You know, you know that you are definitely from the South, and you pronounce it that way. I was like 22 years old before I realized it should be pronounced Vienna. Man, if you never had sauteed spam, you don't know what you meant. Oh no, man! Oh, I lived in Hawaii for five years, and I heard of that stuff, man. But I wouldn't touch it. No, Dr. I'd have John, to excuse, excuse, excuse Matthew. Deep deal with that. <laughs> but John, you know, I would ask you. I want to know. I've never been hypnotized myself personally, and I don't know if I would be a good candidate or not. I don't know if I would be even afraid to try it, but I'm kind of curious because it's something that uh, I personally have never experienced. Mm-hmm. So is there a way well, for is, is there a way for individuals to tell if they have a, a, a personality that would allow them to be hypnotized, or or is that something sure. that we as individuals can turn on or off? Well, again, it's a natural state of consciousness. So the first thing I would ask somebody that asked me that question is, uh, are you able to watch a movie and get completely lost in the movie and feel feelings? Um, that would be the first question I would ask. And 99% of the time the answer is, yeah, absolutely, it happens all the time, uh, which means that you have the ability of being in hypnosis. Do you ever daydream and kind of get and lose track of time? Do you ever uh, zone out on the freeway and then suddenly, you know, where's my exit or how did I get here? Those are all natural moments of hypnosis. So if you experience that in your life, then you have the ability of entering hypnosis quite nicely, then it's simply allowing uh, whomever is working with you to guide you into that state of consciousness. Because, again, remember, it's something that we all do every day, and it's about allowance more than anything. If you let your mind do what it knows how to do, uh, it will do it. But some people are so worried that they're going to lose control, that the hypnotherapist or hypnotist is going to take over their minds and make them do something they don't want to do, which, you know, I tell people all the time when I do workshops and seminars, if I could make people do what I want them to do, we wouldn't be here, you know. I'd be the most benevolent ruler of the planet that ever lived, but uh, it just doesn't doesn't work that way. I'm, I'm trying, but so far, no soap. Hey, look, I just want to fly F-15 and you can win with me. (laughs) <laughs> so so I had a question here about um how how do you help a person who comes to you and says I'm I'm thinking of a client I have and how do you help a person who thinks of himself or herself as a victim and says to you Hey, you know, this has been a theme in my life. I've come to you because I think I want to make that change. What's the what's the procedure that you might begin with dealing with that person? Well, one of one of the things I do with everybody um, in the fir- in the very first session, or when I do a workshop or I do a seminar, uh, a synthesis workshop or a synthesis seminar, is I go through. Uh, what I call the quantum reality equation, which is one of the models of synthesis, which is a very simplified diagram. It's in my book that shows people the science behind the concept of, of creating our own reality. It just shows the energetic flow from interacting with your environment to the energy of your reality. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, it's a very, very simple diagram. And uh, if you, if you ever take a look at, at the book, uh, it's it's in the book, and I go through it with my readers. But once we've gone through that, I I they you know they have to face the fact that okay, it feels like I have no control. It 
feels like I'm a victim, but in reality I'm not. And once they embrace that concept and once they embrace the fact, and it is a fact, that they already have whatever it is they need to create the change they want inside of them, what I do and what people like you do, it, we help them tap into those resources, those abilities, and in, in so doing, and this just happens to be a way that works for a lot, a lot of people, uh, then they take over, they take control of their lives, and you know, then they become great manifestors. But that's what I do. I, I, I gently take them through and show them that they're not really victims. And uh, most folks get it right away, and you can see the light go off, and, and then you know you're off to the races. Uh, hey, maybe there is a hope for me, you know? Wow. Um, I didn't know I was doing this myself, but I, I, I guess I am. And so if I'm doing it, then I can undo it and do something else, and that's that's where we go from there. So – do you work with people in groups or is it mostly, I know you said you do seminars. So that's, I imagine that's a group of people that are together. Yeah, I have, I have, I haven't done a lot of this recently, but I had some corporate clients that, that I work with their sales teams and their customer relations people and their management to help them improve uh, how they communicate and teach them subconscious communication which establishes rapport. But I also do, uh, yeah, I do workshops and seminars when able uh, that sort of teach people the whole concept of synthesis. I don't do a lot of group hypnosis because uh, it's such a personal experience that, that not every, generally speaking, very, you know, everybody responds differently. So it's hard to do a group and show them hypnosis. But I teach meditation and I teach the models of synthesis. Uh, the quantum reality equation, the formula for change, and, and a lot of the tools and techniques that are in the book uh, are, are great fodder for a seminar and workshop because it, it shows people that, one, they're not alone. So many people think that their issue is it, it's them. There's something wrong. Oh, there's something mm-hmm. wrong with me. Yeah. Uh, so they say, hey, hey, I, I'm not alone, you know, and I, that's, a, you know, everybody's got stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in fact, I'm starting a new video series that's going to be coming out weekly for anybody that's interested. Uh, we can talk about how to sign up for it. But the first episode, uh, which is going to be released shortly, is about the fact that, hey, listen, everybody has issues. There's nothing wrong with you. You're human. It's part of the deal. Um, and then here, here's how you got this way. Uh, here's how, you, how we all get our stuff, our issues, our, our, our limiting beliefs, whatever it is that's holding us back. And here are tools, here's a set of tools that you can use to change that, and here's a method to use the tools. And so that's what the synthesis workshop is all about. But once people understand that they're not alone, that there is help, that there are tools that they can use, and they're simple, that all they got to do is want it and commit to the work and then start using the tools, which is what my book is all about, they're off to the races. Um, so that's, that's what I do with groups. Question for you. Are you affiliated with any uh, government-assisted programs for some of our listeners that may be on a fixed income or something? I am not, but, and, and I'm glad you brought that up, uh, while I do have standard session fees, um, if someone comes to me and there is a true financial challenge involved, then I always find a way uh, to help them. The only people that that never get discounts ever are people who smoke cigarettes because if you can spend seven or eight or more dollars a pack, you can pay the fee. I uh, agree. So there's, so no official programs, but I have never turned anybody away strictly for financial reasons. Good stuff. Good. Good stuff. Uh, John, would you say that uh, there are any dangers in hypnotism? No. It's a natural state of consciousness. We all experience it every day. Uh, when you fall asleep at night, that's another natural. Uh, when you fall asleep, you go from conscious, awake, you close your eyes, and you go through this process until you're asleep. Exactly the same process you go through when you enter hypnosis, except you don't fall asleep. Um, if someone does fall asleep in, in my office, you know, I have a lot of professionals that come after work, they're tired. I have a recliner that's very, very comfortable, and they'll try to go past hypnosis into sleep, and I just wake them up. i got a little rubber hammer behind the chair, and I whack them up. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but whack-a-mole, no, whack-a-mole. Whack-a-mole, right. There's no danger whatsoever in hypnosis. It is a completely natural state of, of consciousness. 
You're always awake, you're always aware, and you're always in control. You can open your eyes and get up anytime you want. The reason people don't is because it feels so, so good to, to let yourself go there. Um, and again, this is important. I can't make, nor can any hypnotist make anybody do, think, say, or feel anything they do not wish to. Um, if you go to a hypnosis show, you'll notice some zany things go on, going on upstage, but the hypnotist never asks anybody to do something that would be violent or that would be untoward or against their morals or values because they'd instantly come out of hypnosis and the show would be over, or worse, they might yeah. do it and the show would be over. Either way, it would screw up the show. So it's always sort of Good. funny stuff and zany stuff. There are some adult-rated versions of hypnosis shows, but again, people are there because they want to be there. So there's absolutely no danger involved with hypnosis whatsoever. Well, I, I, I have another question, and I, I understand it's, it could be complicated to answer, but uh, particularly since you live in California. But could you do you have a kind of an explanation of what's different between what you do and psychotherapy? You know, I, I do. I, I work with the worried well of the world. The, the uh, definition of hypnotherapy, uh, as far as a, a, in the, in the uh, catalog of, of professional endeavors, is vocational and avocational self-improvement. That is the scope, in the state of California at least, uh, of what I can do, vocational and avocational self-improvement which covers about 85% of the people in the world and the stuff that's holding them back. Psychotherapy treats conditions uh, that have been diagnosed in this big, big book called the DSM-5. I think there's the mm-hmm. DSM-5 put out by the American yeah. Psychiatric Association. So things like mm-hmm. clinical depression or disorders, if something has been classified as a disorder uh, or diagnosed or a person is being medicated for something like uh, anxiety or depression, then I need to get a written okay from someone like a doctor or a psychiatrist or a psychotherapist to work with that person because I am not licensed, I am not allowed to diagnose, I am not allowed to medicate, nor do I want to do any of that stuff. So, so if a person is, who's depressed comes to you and says, uh, I want you to help me with my depression, you've got to go through a procedure first before you can deal with them? Well, if they are clinically depressed... If there's been a diagnosis or if I suspect, based on my training, that it's beyond vocational and avocational self-improvement. In other words, someone can just feel a little blue because their girlfriend broke up with them and they're feeling down. That's different than being depressed. Uh, But, yes, if they are depressed, and I work with it all the time, then I must get a written referral from someone with a license uh, in order to work with that person. It's a very simple thing, but that's... That's the law out here in California, and every state has have their own regulations. Yeah, I'm familiar but, with it, and I, 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 that's why I was asking the question. I, I know it's because a lot of what you're talking about and in terms of what you do, the average psychotherapist actually does a lot, uh, you know, approaches things very similar to the way you were talking about it. Um, it's always been a kind of a mystery to me about how to really draw a clear line between the two, and I I, I I didn't mean to be annoying, but I really wanted to, to hear what you would have to say about it. it. Sounds like you have to deal with that issue. Oh, I deal with it all the time, and you, not, this is not annoying. It's something. It's one of the first things that a good school of hypnotherapy teaches their students is the difference and how to recognize it, and how to know uh, when someone who's coming to you is on the other side of that vocational and avocational self improvement definition. And, you know, there are some times when there is a thin line. And, you know, my, we, we are required to uh, uphold the same ethics uh, as any psychotherapist or psychiatrist. Uh, and we use the same code of ethics that are published by the American Psychological Association, and that is, number one, do no harm. So if you have even an inkling, uh, a suspicion. I never, ever compromise that. If there's even an inkling that someone may have more than just a habit, uh, that stress could be an anxiety or something could be, uh, you know, a disorder, I either refer them to a psychiatrist because I have several that I work with, uh, or I ask their doctor to say it's okay for them to do hypnotherapy. I never, ever mess with it. So don't think there's no uh, annoyance whatsoever. It's a really important distinction. Okay. And there are a lot of people that don't make that distinction, and, you know, that's scary. 
Well, that's good for our listeners to know the difference so they'll know how to understand and decipher for themselves. Well, yeah, if they're seeing somebody for something, if they're being medicated for something, if they've been diagnosed with something, then it's a cut-and-dried situation. Um, and that's very often the case. Well, I, I had another a question that's related to something that's in, in your bio when you talked about spirituality. Um, yes. Could you say a little bit about how spirituality, your your way of approaching it and how it might uh, relate to your work? Sure. First of all, the first distinction I make is the difference between spirituality and religion. They are very, very different. Uh, they are meant to come together and very often they don't. Uh, most of the world's problems are religious-based, unfortunately, but that's neither here nor there. I uh, derive my concept of spirituality from the native uh, indigenous peoples of the world, most prominently Native Americans because they're right here and they're easy to study, but uh, all of the tribal cultures, all the indigenous peoples of the world were very, very spiritually based as far as their philosophy as to what their place was in the universe and how they interacted with it and it's really about knowing that we are all energetically connected and that there is this force if you will we can call it soul we can call it spirit we can call it pure consciousness that connects all of us and that's what the native americans and other native peoples uh, believed and the interesting thing was if you look at at their history a lot of the the issues that that we have to deal with today in Western culture, uh, you know, like obsessive-compulsive disorder and bipolar and depression and all these weird, zany conditions that, that people get, if you look at the tribal, the tribal peoples of the world, they didn't suffer from any of that stuff until they were exposed to Western thinking. <laughs> so they had a very simple way of going about doing the business of life. Live in balance with yourself, with the earth, with other people. Know that you are part of a greater whole. Nurture that energy, uh, and, and that's, that's my concept of spirituality. And, and I bring that it's a big part of the synthesis process. If you are spiritual, then your religion just gets stronger, but you can be extremely religious and have no concept of spirituality. So I really make a distinction between the two because I think all religions are fine. There should be no discrimination. Everybody should worship the way they wish, but, you know, you can. You don't have to be religious to be spiritual, but you, but you must be spiritual if you're going to live fully. I, I believe because we are spiritual beings, whether we like it or not. That's been proven. There was a, a great statement by a guy named Alan Pribram, who was a professor at Stanford University. That's about as buttoned down as it gets. I mean, one of the finest schools in, in the world. And he he did a radio interview, uh, not unlike this one, many years ago. And he said, whether we like it or not, folks, we are proving in laboratories around the world that we are spiritual beings in a physical body. It's proof. It's not conjecture. So why don't we accept that and embrace our spirits and live more powerfully? So that's, that's how I use it. Hmm. And, that make, and that makes sense. But it also made me think about that six on one hand and half a dozen on the other. We know that we have problems. We know how to have issues, but we don't know how to go about getting them corrected. Right. Right. And that's why we're doing this show. That's why you know, exactly. people like like Matthew and me and, and coaches around the world do what they do is to, to help people get the help they need. First of all, help them realize they're not alone. Help them realize that that everybody has issues, and it's okay. It's okay to have issues. You get toothaches, you break bones, you know, your mind is not always going to work perfectly. It's going to have its ups and downs, and that's, that's part of being human. And if you get the help, you don't have to deal with it. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I just think that's a big issue with society. People feel like uh, to accept and embrace the fact that they have a problem, it for some reason makes them feel less than. I agree. I totally agree. And it's a shame because that doesn't, it doesn't have to be that way. You know, the help is there. And as I say in my book and I say in my lectures and I say to every single client, we all deserve to live a powerful, joyful, abundant uh, life. And we all have the ability of doing that, but and 
most of us at some time or another are going to need some help making that happen or keeping the train on the rail, so to speak. And mm-hmm. if you get the help, great. Yeah. If you don't, you're going to suffer. I totally agree. And for our listeners out there, if your ass is crazy, you're just crazy. Don't be ashamed to tell nobody. Get some help. <laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't, I couldn't let that one go. <laughs> yeah, well, what are you but, gonna, how are you going to define crazy? <laughs> I don't know. Well, what I tell everybody to, is if, if you just you look in the mirror, crazy, you, you know what crazy, you see. That's if you it. were, you wouldn't know it. <laughs> that's true. I, I've never heard anybody Let's, that was crazy admit the fact that they were crazy because they don't even know they're crazy. Until exactly. somebody else what, John, what John is saying is true, though, is that we do we all really do uh, need some help in one way or another, and you know it's it's anybody who wants to be really good at something in this world always gets training they get help they get right. guidance That's they get right. coaching they get support and you know if you want to be a great golfer you don't do it all by yourself you get all kinds of teachers and i think the same is true about any any process of life that we want to have our relationships our future our dealing with our fears whatever and we're really made to reach out to each other. That's a natural, normal thing, and I, I agree with that. So we're almost to the end. Um, Lamont, I'm thinking that we might want to get John to talk a little bit about how people can get in touch with him and share, do yes, a little sir. commercial for himself here. Yes, sir. Well, thank Go you so much, John. Well, uh, first of all, again, uh, thank both of you for the invitation. It's been uh, it's been a great time. I can't believe how fast that hour went. But uh, <laughs> I am uh, – I am available for, for uh, you know, complimentary consultations. People can reach me through my websites. I have two. One is drjohnmcgrail.com, D-R, and my name, johnmcgrail.com. My hypnotherapy website is very simple, a long word, but very simple to remember, hypnotherapy Los Angeles, all spelled out one word, hypnotherapylosangeles.com. On my website is tons of information, but also my email address, my phone number, and if someone emails me or calls me, uh, I will respond personally. I don't have my people do it. Uh, I do it myself. And if, you, if you're thinking about getting help, uh, I have clients all over the world. That with the beauty of technology, I can work with people anywhere. But I may or may not be the right solution, but I'm certainly happy to help people find the right solution for them. So if anybody reaches out, they will get a personal response, usually within a day. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I welcome that. And thanks again for having me on here. And if you're interested in the book, The Synthesis Effect, it's available on Amazon or uh, Amazon or BarnesandNoble.com, The Synthesis Effect. Uh, a lot of people have read it and think, think it's pretty good, so, you know, I'll just go with that. <laughs> uh, but I, <laughs> I, I'm not going to disagree with those reviewers, uh, but uh, it, it, it's, it is uh, a way to understand how and why we get into trouble and how the tools of synthesis can help us get out of trouble. And uh, it's a pretty easy read. It's meant to be fun. Uh, I certainly talk about, you know, like I said, I had stuff. I had, I went through my own process of rediscovery, and and um, it's it's a joy to help others. So, again, uh, both of you, thank you so very much for your time. Great questions. Well, you're welcome. It yeah, was, thank it was you. Lovely. It's definitely been an honor and a privilege, and we definitely enjoyed you. And I'm sure our listeners got a lot, a lot of valuable information. Absolutely. I know Matthew John, and I will so be in much. touch with you soon, and thank you so very much. Thank yes. you, guys. Have a great one. Take care. Bye. Bye bye. And and we'll be back next week, ladies and gentlemen, two thirty PST, Dr. John and myself right here on Counter Play a Play. And if you just joined us late, the show will be available in our podcast, worldmovement.com. Uh iTunes podcast or wherever you want to get your stuff from, but make sure you go to worldmovement.com and you can also get today's show too if you join us lately. And again, we appreciate you. And on behalf of Can Play and Play, myself and Dr. Matthew, we appreciate you and see you next week. God bless you. Bless ya. Mm-hmm.